Uh, this morning we are teaching from Matthew. We are going through the uh, Gospel of Matthew verse by verse. Uh, the reason we're doing this, Jesus gave us a great commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to obey. Now, sadly today, we don't hear a lot of that and haven't heard a lot of this for a long time. Most of Christianity has been dumbed down to the point of just believe. You just believe as long as you believe in Jesus. That's all you got to do. Now, Jesus didn't tell us to go around telling us people to believe. Now, it starts with believing. You need to start, but there's more to it than just believing. Okay, the devil believes in Jesus. How's that working out for him? All right, it takes more than just believing. You need to live it. He says, teach people to obey what I've commanded you. Now, sadly, most people today, because biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high among people of faith, they have no idea what Jesus commanded. In fact, if you were to ask people, say, what are some of the commands Jesus gave? Most Christians would stare at you and go, I don't know. Now, we know about the Old Testament commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments were up on those, but Jesus had some 40, 50 commands, things he specifically told us to do and not to do. We need to live out our faith. And that's why we are getting back to the Bible and going through the Gospels and looking at what Jesus actually taught. Now, some of the stuff he said is a little hard to swallow, okay? Jesus wasn't this wussified guy who just walked around telling everyone to love, peace, you know, like some kind of hippie or something. You know, you see pictures of Jesus on the wall, looks like a lady with a beard, you know. He wasn't this weak person. He was very strong, very confrontational, and people's faces. And eventually, the leaders couldn't take it, and they had him crucified. So, I mean, he was very, very strong. What did Jesus teach? Now, last time we left off where Jesus said, look, you've heard in the Old Testament that you should not kill people. But I tell you, see, he ratchets it up. He says, you can't hate people. In fact, if you hate people, he says, it's the same as if you kill them. Wow. So as people of faith, we have no business hating anybody. You can't go around hating people who mistreat you and say nasty things about you. And all. At the end of the day, we have to walk in forgiveness, right? Don't be all bitter and nasty and crazy because somebody ticked you off. You need to let it go. Let go. Let God. All right? Don't be hanging on to nasty stuff. All right? That was last time. This week, it gets worse. <laughs> Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 27. Now, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? This is Jesus' famous sermon. Now, whenever you hear the Sermon on the Mount, we quote the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed, 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 blessed. And we think that was the Sermon on the Mount. That wasn't the Sermon on the Mount. That was the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. He's just getting started talking about the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't some little tiny, you know, blessed everybody. He goes and gets into this. We're not even halfway through. And he gets to this. And when I read this, I heard the senator was coming. I thought, oh, good grief. <laughs> you know, <laughs> today we get to talk about lust. Oh, isn't that fun? Woo! But that's what was next. God bless you. <laughs> By the way, coming to hear me preach may not have been the best political advice you ever got. I just, I just said right now. All right? Just trying to be fair. 
Somebody on his staff is getting fired right after this. All right, now. Jesus said, you have heard it said, talking about the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. But then he says, but I tell you, he ratchets it up, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want to teach on this for just a little bit. I want to make some things clear, because if there's one point of scripture that I have seen be misapplied, misapplied and confuse a lot of people, it's this portion of scripture. And make no mistake, remember when the devil took Jesus, we just read, where Jesus went into the desert to be tempted. What did the devil say to him? He quoted the Bible to him. Every time he quoted the Bible to him, messing with his head, misquoting, but quoting, make no mistake, the devil will come and he'll stick thoughts in your head, sometimes even point things out in the Bible to get you to do something stupid. Now let's take a look at this. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Number one, I want you to know something. Noticing a woman is not lusting. We all notice you. Okay? We notice some more than others, but we notice you. Okay? In all fairness, guys are visually driven. Uh, and women, just by the way that you're designed, we notice you. The, the shapes, the curves, everything's like, hello, hello. Okay? Now, sometimes women get very sanctimonious about it. All oh, men are such pigs. They're such pigs. <laughs> we women don't do that. Yeah? Well, you don't do it because you can't tell the shape of a man. Who do I fire as he's thinking right now? <laughs> who, who is losing their job today? Now listen to me, some of you very holy ladies, very spiritual. If you're at lunch with a bunch of your mops girls, you know, you're discussing the latest Bible study, and Clay Matthews from the Green Bay Packers comes walking in. Now I've seen Clay walk around town. He dresses like a slob, baggy pants. You don't see anything, right? You get into the hat, you, get, you can't even tell anything. But if the man came in without his shirt on and sat right across from all you real spiritual ladies, I got a pretty good guess you're all gonna go, look at that! We just can see it better than you can. You can't tell a man's shape unless he takes off his shirt, which in my case would be a very bad idea. You'd be reminded of the movie The Blob, all right? So now men notice, we notice. Beautiful women are beautiful, thank God for them. We notice these things. My wife and I always notice these things. We tease each other all the time. Guy or girl, we got some gorgeous person go by, you know, hey, check that out, you know. <laughs> you know. We were just in California, some guy comes walking into the place, man, looks like an Italian movie star, you know, holy cow. I said, hey, check it out. <laughs> we giggle, you know. <laughs> just the other day, we're driving along, my, going to get something to eat, my wife says, hey, check that out. I went, oh, hello, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tall, redhead, you know, just with a dress all the way up for her butt. <laughs> We giggle. For heaven's sakes, girls, honestly, don't dress like that. 
All right. Yes, amen. Especially in church, for the love of God. All right? Cover up a little bit. We get it. You're blessed. All right? We don't need to see all that. All right, I have this debate with women all the time. Half the women say, oh, they know exactly what they're doing. The other half go, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, so I don't know. Just cut us a break. Okay? And we're getting up there in years, you know. The older we get, the more we notice these young people. I mean, we're on the verge of geezerhood, man. It's like everybody looks great to us now. <laughs> but it's safe for us, you know. We've got kids older than these people. Good Lord, I've got underwear older than some of them. <laughs> I think I got those on this morning. <laughs> so just noticing a woman is not lusting. Now, out of respect for your wife, should you be gawking at some woman? No. Pastor, my husband does that. What do I do? Slap him upside the head. <laughs> I have to put up with that. But that's not lusting. Lusting is when you cross a line in your heart where your thoughts become blatantly sexual and inappropriate. Now you are lusting. And as far as Jesus is concerned, he says, it's like you committed adultery. Before God, it is the same. But listen to me. Escúchame. Listen. It's not the same. Are you hearing me? It's not the same. Yes, it is. Pastor Jesus. No, no, no. Look. He just said, if you hate somebody, it's the same as killing them before God, but it's not the same to me. I would much prefer you just hate me. <laughs> then take a gun out and plant a bullet in my brain. I would have a problem with that, okay? It's not the same any more than taking a gun and actually killing somebody is the same. Don't be foolish. And this is where I think Satan comes along and gets so many people messed up with this. Hey, it's just the same. It is written. Jesus said it's the same. So I know people, Christian men, who do incomprehensibly, immeasurably stupid things because, well, Jesus said it's the same. I know of a pastor, a good friend of mine, had one of the fastest growing churches in America. Thousands of people coming in this thing. Growing like a weed overnight. And then he makes a stupid move and commits adultery with some bimbo. Loses everything. Now, you have to understand, when a pastor does this, it's a big deal. You lose everything. Now, it's destructive in any context. But if you work for the post office and you commit adultery, you don't lose your job. You don't lose your pension. You don't lose your career. When a pastor does this, you lose everything. And he had lost everything. Just, I don't know, the rat hole these guys go down. I think, what in the world? Financially devastated, his career devastated, his family devastated, the church smashed into pieces. And I was talking to him, just as a friend. He knew, he knew me well. And I said, dude, I got to ask you a question. What were you thinking? And what he said to me, he said, well, you know, Jesus said, if you feel it in your heart, it's just like you did it. So I thought, might as well just do it. Because it's the same. Listen to me. It's not the same. There's lots of guys who do this. This happens a lot. 
Just talked to a guy Friday, told me the same thing. Well, Jesus said it's the same. Well, might as well do it. Come on, we have to be smarter than a pile of rocks. It's not the same. It is to God, between purity of heart to God, that's why you shouldn't go there. But good Lord, just because you're feeling something, it's the difference between feeling something and doing it. Now, I know women, I know, I've heard this many times, Christian women who have literally divorced their husbands because their husbands confessed to them that they were lusting after another woman. Now, first of all, if you are struggling with lust towards another woman, my advice, don't share this with your wife. <laughs> she probably won't understand that. Go talk to another guy. Got some friends in the church? Talk to your pastor. Come in and discuss it. We'll help you work through it, pray through it, get right with God through it. But women say, well, he said he committed adultery in his heart. So they literally divorced him, claiming he'd committed adultery. Because it's the same. It's not the same. Goodness gracious. Well, it is written. Yeah, that's what Satan said. Be careful. Just because you feel it, there's a big difference between feeling and doing. And number three, you have to at least admit, Jesus made it crystal clear how Christians should approach sexual issues, morality. He said, don't even think about it. Now, I travel all over the world, speaking on marriage and family. You guys know what I do and stuff. So I get emails from people all the time. And I hear from Christian single people all the time, young, old, whatever. Say, you know, Pastor, you know, my boyfriend and I are Christians. We really love Jesus, but we're having sex and blah, 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 blah. And I go, hello? Excuse me? You're Christians? I don't understand. Well, what version of Christianity is this exactly? See, I have this radical, insane thought that a Christian actually would follow the teachings of, I don't know, Christ. Seems logical to me. Christian Christ. Buddhist follows Buddha. Muslim follows the teachings of Mohammed, right? Christian Christ. How do you follow the Christians? You say you're a Christian and then doing this. I mean, just change the commandment and you'd see how absurd it is. Uh, Pastor, uh, my boyfriend and I really love Jesus, uh, but, but we kill people. <laughs> Not everybody. Just, just the grumpy people. And, and we're very considerate. We bury them far enough that the neighbors can't smell their rotting corpses. You know, so you think they're crazy. Pick another one. Uh, my wife and I are, are Christians, uh, but we steal. Not from everybody, just people who have good insurance. You know, so. <laughs> oh, we're Christians, but we lie. Yeah, yeah, we just lie, especially to old people. <laughs> Gets them real confused. It's really funny. Well, you'd be mortified. We'd all be mortified. But for some reason, because our morality in this country has been so dumbed down that people with impunity and freedom say, I'm a Christian, but yet I'm doing my boyfriend. And don't think twice about it. Come on, we got to be smarter than this. We need to start thinking more like Jesus taught and less than our culture. And admit it, we have a corrupted culture out there. You know, God bless the senator. You know, the other day he was speaking against... Pornography and prosecuting some of these pornographers. God bless him. He's the only guy so far who's had the courage to mention it. You think the secular media thought he was crazy. What? What? He must have lost his mind. <laughs> because today, everything's game. It doesn't matter. Sacks, ah, who cares? 
Like, I get them thinking that way, but we should not think this way. And then they say, well, pastor, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't do this. The Bible doesn't say you can't do that. And the Bible doesn't list all these specific acts. Well, no, it doesn't. But it didn't have to. When you start with, don't even think about it, pretty much wraps it up. <laughs> Would you not agree? <laughs> Paul the Apostle said it this way. A single man should not have, and they translate it like this, the new translations, should not have sexual relations with a woman. Well, that's a problem today because we've been Clintonized. You know, what is is? What does is really mean is? You know, that's not a political thing. It's just him. So now everybody's, like, the Christians talk like this now. What, what, what is sexual? What, what is this? When in actually the original translation, he didn't say that. What he literally said is a single man should not touch a woman. Ah, a little clearer. No touchy, no thinky. No touchy, no thinky, no touchy. That pretty much wraps it up. That's why we don't have specific lists of what you can or cannot do. Stop. Well, Pastor, what should we do? Get a life. Marry the girl. What a concept. You know, it's not like God is against you having sex. You can have sex till your eyeballs pop out. I'm not sure how much sex that would be, but... <laughs> Who do I fire is what he's thinking right now. <laughs> Look, God isn't against sex. Sex was God's idea. Fabulous idea, by the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. He just says, do it right. Listen, the reason you need to do it right, it's a very powerful thing, this thing. It's extremely powerful. In the right context, it is extremely powerful and wonderful. In the wrong context, it's also powerful, but becomes very destructive. It, it, this is so destroying people's lives today because they keep stepping over this line. Sex is a powerful thing. And listen, you single people, don't be getting physical with people when you're dating them. Because sex will make you stupid. It will. It'll make you dumb as a brick. Now, in a way, it's supposed to. You see, sex is the Novocaine that makes marriage possible. <laughs> it is! I'm feeling some pain, baby. Help me out here. Uh, you know. It's supposed to numb your brain. In marriage, that's how two people can stay together for a lifetime. But you do it before marriage, it'll just make you stupid. And you'll do stuff you will regret the rest of your life. And if we had time to listen to the stories in this room, People, oh, I was in this terrible relationship. I don't know what I was thinking. I was in this horrible marriage. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, we were too young. We were too fat. We were too stupid. We were too crazy. I got all these reasons why it didn't work. Ah, ah, ah. Ask him one question. Were you having sex with the dude before you married him? 98% of the time, the answer will be yes. This is why you don't want to go down this path. It is destructive. It will hurt you. It will damage you. God isn't against you. Man, go for it. Just do life Right. I don't know, Pastor. I, I don't think Jesus really, really was that serious about it. Really? Let us continue reading. Ah, it gets worse. <laughs> if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. <laughs> Ow. You think I'm over the top? Jesus is pretty intense here. 
Why would he say such a thing? He says, because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. <coughs> Again, with the hell. We just started the Sermon on the Mount. We're not even halfway through. Three times he's mentioned hell, threatened hell. Which brings me to another point. We had so many people today around, again, claiming Christians. Again, I don't understand this Christian phrase and then disobeying all the teachings of Christ. But Christians go around and say, well, there's not really a hell. You know, there's not really. It's really not in the Bible. Do you not read the Bible? Yes. There's a hell. Now, it's not our call to say who goes there and who doesn't. That's not for us. That's up to God. But trust me, you don't want to go there. There's a real place. This wasn't made up by a bunch of monks in the, you know, thousand years into Christianity. Let's invent something to scare people. That's what they talk about today. You know, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. Oh, really? Too bad Jesus wasn't as smart as you. He talked about it. He talked about it over and over again. And the next one. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, <laughs> cut it off and throw it away. Why? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, four times, hell. Now, do I think Jesus literally wants people to pluck out their eyes and cut off their hands? I do not. Okay. If he literally meant for us to pluck out our eyes, there'd be a lot of guys this morning walking around like this. Because they'd have no eyes. So, Welcome to Celebration Church. Good. Oh, boy, I don't have a hand either. I'll have to hug you. <laughs> Welcome to Celebration Church. It's good to have you here. Praise, praise. Can somebody help me out here? I can't see where I'm going. Well, he literally wanted you to do that stuff. He's just saying, take this seriously. This is serious stuff. And again, it's not because God is against people. He's for them. So, well, Pastor, don't we believe in grace? Yes, we do. But grace isn't a license to do the wrong things. Okay? For example, should you kill people? No. <coughs> Would God forgive you if you killed someone? Yes. Then I can kill people. No! <laughs> it's not a license to keep doing the wrong thing. How about we do life right? And the reason for this is God wants us to live the kind of lives that are so successful, so healthy, that other people who are not people of faith will look at us and go, wow, I want to be like you guys. I want to have a life like you. How about we have those kind of examples? Where we got something that people can look up to instead of down to. Remember, God loves everybody. It's not our job to hate or condemn anybody, even people who make this mistake. And it gets worse next Sunday. It'll get worse. It's pretty strong stuff Jesus talks about here. But you know what? If we're going to be true Christians, we need to do what Jesus said. If we're going to really follow the Great Commission, we need to teach people to obey what he said. Jesus said, you are my friend if you do what I say. But see, we take the if side of the Bible. Now we just say, Jesus is our friend. He's everybody's friend. Ha, ha, ha. Doesn't really matter how I live. 
Doesn't matter if I lie, cheat, steal, kill, abort, whatever, doesn't matter. Now, there's more to it than that. There's more than just saying, I believe. Just acknowledging the existence of Jesus is not true faith. True faith is when you take what he said so seriously, you go, you know what? I'm going to put this into my life. And the good news again is not that this brings death. This brings freedom. You know, a lot of churches are afraid to talk about the truth because they think the truth will scare people off. But Jesus said the truth will set you free. (laughs) Hallelujah. We don't have to be afraid of the truth. We need to embrace the truth. We need to celebrate the truth. It brings life. It brings freedom. It is glorious. It is not a bad thing. It is a good thing because it will set you free. It will empower your life. And instead of just walking around, my life stinks. You start walking around, wow, my life is blessed. Because we're following a loving God who cares about us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teachings of your word. Lord, lots of us, as we read through this, will only become more aware of how often we fail. But Lord, you didn't say these things to beat us up. You said these things to challenge us, to lift us up, to live beyond just what we do, but also what we feel on the inside. Lord, help us to be righteous on the inside. Help us to do the right things. Help us to be people of faith who live out what you taught. Because we know that this truth will set us free. It will empower us. And hopefully we'll live the kind of lives, Lord, that people who don't know Jesus will look at us and say, wow, I want to be like you guys. And then we can share the glorious good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this morning, when I came into church this morning, people said, somebody said, I see you're wearing your Republican tie. And I went, <laughs> I said, what? And I looked down and it's got elephants all over it. And I... <laughs> She just handed it to me. I presume we got it when we were in Africa, but uh, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very much an honor for us, sir, to have you here with us this morning. And uh, it's... it's And uh, it's, it's, uh, we're very, very thrilled about it, despite the zoo with all the cops out there and stuff. We think this is very exciting. And uh, uh, I'm going to ask if you would come and please address the congregation. Give him a hand. Five, ten minutes, four, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark, Pastor Latham. Thank you so much. Uh, let me introduce uh, my daughter, Sarah Maria, who is also with me here today. Pastor, thank you. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you to Pastor Mark. Um, I get a chance to um, travel around and uh, visit a lot of churches and um, uh, listen to a lot of pastors. And uh, you got something special here. The word comes to mind, a lot of words come to mind, <laughs> but uh, the, the word that, that 
that really comes to mind it's just in in a very very big and precious way is courage um, go to a lot of places preach the happy gospel and it is a happy gospel it is the good news but um, this pastor has the courage to speak into to the truth and to the tough stuff and uh, you don't hear that part of the gospel preached very often and I, I just, uh, to a world that desperately needs men to stand up and women to stand up and preach that. And so I just, I have to just say, you, you've touched me this morning, and I know you have, and you are a voice out in the wilderness. But it is, uh, it is a beautiful thing. That, that you've done here today. And I just, I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. It's, it's been a great blessing for me to be here. Um, I can tell you in my own you know, personal journey and uh, my own faith walk, uh, it, was, uh, it was someone that, that came up to me. Uh, I'd just been elected to the United States Senate. And it came up to me. And you know, I was someone who was, if you asked me, whether I could check the boxes of Christianity, I could have checked all the boxes. I could have passed the test. But as far as really making Christ and, and my faith not just a part of my life, but central to my life, uh, that came when I, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, you might want to come to a Bible study, believe it or not, in the United States Senate. And, um, and, I, And I say this to you because you know, I always say, I, you know, I came to the United States Senate and I found the Lord. Not exactly where you'd think to find him. <laughs> if you have the same view of Congress as most Americans do. But uh, I did. And I, and I did because of a great man of God who sat down with senators and looked them in the eye and preached the gospel. All of it. The heaven and the hell part. Right? God and Satan part. I got criticized the other day for actually giving a speech when I was out of politics and talked about Satan. Well, Jesus believes in Satan. <laughs> right? And so I, I sort of, I, I opened my eyes when someone opened my eyes to the whole gospel and to what it meant. And that's why I'm so honored and privileged to be here today with, with you, Pastor Mark. Thank you for doing that because others like you open uh, my eyes as I'm sure you've opened eyes today and open eyes every day here. So I, uh, <laughs> and so I, I, I can tell you as someone who, um, who went through that experience with uh, a man of God um, helping me and inspiring me, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today uh, speaking to a, to, a, to a congregation, period, much less, you know, running for president of the United States. Has someone not inspired me to, uh, to do just better than what the culture, the community, the political world was expecting of me? Uh, but I felt like I was called to do more. And by being called to do more and stepping up, on issues that I knew were right, knew were just, and willing to take that extra step. Um, for me, the, the first initial foray was into the pro-life issue. I'd always been pro-life. 
but I never really talked about it. Sort of kept my head down, checking the boxes, but not stepping out and, and living it. It's always felt, you may know people in public life who vote pro-life, and that's to be commended. But to actually go out and lead, stand up in front of a group and talk about it, is a very, very different thing. And it was a turning point in my career because it, I put out there as I was walking this faith journey. It happened at the time when I was in the Senate and I was walking this faith journey and this, this issue came up called partial birth abortion, which is a horrible procedure. And it just shook me that I had to not just sit on the sidelines and wait, but do something. And it was coincidence with this walk of faith and trying to discern why God had called a 36-year-old man who had son of an, an Italian immigrant who had never was supposed to win any of these races that I ever won and, and by just miracle after miracle in many respects I was able to to win these races and here I was. Why? Other than to do all the things that you know you're supposed to do but really you know why me? And in, in some respects this was what um, this is what came to me was that I was um, this issue and, and, and this fight that nobody wanted to fight. So when I hear a pastor get up and talk about things that no one wants to talk about, I can relate to people like that. And you get pigeonholed. I'm sure Pastor Mark talks about all the other gospel, talks about the whole thing. But when you talk about the real controversial things, you can get pigeonholed. But I, I just, so I appreciate that. I appreciate his honesty and integrity of doing it. And I, as someone who um, has gone out and, and tried to, uh, to be faithful to what uh, you're being called to do. And I can tell you that God has blessed me beyond measure in so many ways because of taking that walk and trying to be faithful. That doesn't necessarily mean God has made the path an easy path. He has made it a very, very rugged and tough path. I've had my share, Karen and I, my wife of 21 years, we've had our share of incredible crosses to bear as we've walked that path. Just share two quick stories with you. One, both personal, but had a profound impact on my life and, and my political career. One was right at the time I was, had just finished the debate on partial birth abortion, was a debate which we lost, <clears throat> but I had made the case that these abortions done late in pregnancy were done because children had, moms and dads had found out children had had abnormalities that they weren't expecting. And as a result, wanted to end the pregnancy because the children were not going to be perfect. And so they wanted to get rid of their disabled child. That was the biggest reason those who advocated for the continuing of this procedure. At the time that that debate was going on, Karen, my wife, was pregnant, was our fourth child. I made the statement after hearing one of these talks about having to have abortions because children may be born deaf or blind or whatever else ailment that they could have. And I said, you know, Karen's pregnant. We're going to have a sonogram, which we did the next week, scheduled. And I said, you know, I don't know what's... My child is healthy or not, but it doesn't matter. It's our child. 
We're going to accept whatever gift God gives us and do the best we can. Well, we had that sonogram a week later, and we're in there, and the doctor keeps going over one particular area, and he finally puts the wand down and the sonogram and looks at Karen and me, and we had our three kids there, and said, your son has a fatal defect and is going to die. And I got to tell you, having been on this faith walk now for the better over about a year, being alive in my faith and doing what I was supposed to be, not just taking on the big issues that I felt called to take on, but also trying to be a better husband, a better father, you know, going to Bible study, church, everything. It's just I was on fire. And this is what I got. God is going to take my son. We not cried, tried to drive, couldn't drive. Went from tears to anger. Anger to resolve. We were going to do something about this. We weren't going to let this pass. And so I remember we thought about going to a hospital that I'd just been to a few weeks ago that they were doing intrauterine surgery to try to fix things. Anyway, long story short, we had that procedure done. They fixed it. And three days later, I got a call from my mother-in-law saying, you got to come home. So your wife has high fever. Because of the surgery, she had had an infection in her womb. She had a 104 fever. She was going to the labor. We ended up delivering our son several hours later. He lived two hours. We spent two hours with him, holding him and loving him. And he died. I was still angry, so angry. Why would God do this to me? Here you are walking this journey. Why would God do this to you? Karen was more devastated than angry. But what she did was what my pastor had encouraged me to do, which is to pray for the gift of understanding. God will just, if you're faithful, God will bless this. I couldn't see how that was possible. And, but Karen, what she did was, she just kept pouring out her heart, a mother's love. She'd always written a little story, a little diary about our children from the time we knew we were expecting a baby, just so they would know what their life was like before they could remember. And after this went on, this saga of the problems we were having, she kept writing these letters to our son, Gabriel. And she continued to write even after little Gabriel died. And a few weeks later, her mom came to visit us and she shared the letters with her mom who had lost, Karen had lost a brother at a year old. And she encouraged her to publish them. Well, she did. She published these books called, this book, little book called Letters to Gabriel. That book, yesterday, a woman handed me a copy of that book. It was published 15 years ago. And she told me, this helped save my life. Other women, I hear men, tears in their eyes, all over the country, come up and say how their child is alive today or that it got them through a horrible time in their life. God is faithful.
And I would just say to all of you, I could tell you other stories, but I know we got to wrap up and you got to go, but take the opportunity to do a couple of things. Tap someone on the shoulder and ask them to come here. Ask them to open up their heart. Don't be afraid to, uh, to spread the word. Don't be afraid to do what someone did to me and change my life. They don't, I'm sure they have no recollection they ever did that. None at all. But it changed my life. And who knows beyond that what it'll change. And secondly, pray, as I'm sure your pastor tells you, pray for those who are in authority. Pray for those who the Bible tells you to pray for. It works. One thing I hear everywhere I go, every event I do, the most constant words I hear is, I'm praying for you. And it, it makes all the difference for me, but I'm telling you, it makes all the difference. I know you think things are bad. Just imagine if you didn't pray. It, it will make a difference. You can make a difference through your prayers. I see it. There are Bible studies all over the Senate. Believe it, you'd be amazed how many people come to the House, the Senate, to the White House and are touched by your prayers. So I just want to encourage you to, uh, to be faithful, to reach out, and to continue to pray. God will bless it, and he'll bless this country. Thank you very much, and God bless. Amen. <laughs> Amen.